All right, Saul Company, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, all right, give me your answer. I'm going to count to three. You can only choose between Wel Welch's and Mott's. One, two, three. Wow. Mott's heavy crowd. So whenever we buy snacks, Saul Company staff, staff Mott's is the way to go. Uh, my name is Colin. If you're new to Salt Company, welcome. Thanks for joining us on our last week. Really sad about that. Last normal week. Uh, but, but we'll uh, gather again next week to celebrate Christmas. Uh, also, just want to say, Christmas service, everyone loves Christmas. So uh, if you've been waiting for an excuse to invite someone from your class, someone from your dorm, uh, I think next week's a great even though it's the last week, it's also a great week to invite people, give them a taste for what Salt Company is all about, and we're going to sing a few extra songs, so it'll be, uh, it'll be a really, really fun uh, night. We are wrapping up our Daniel series tonight. Uh, I've been so thankful for the life of Daniel and the lessons that I've learned uh, as we've walked through the life of Daniel together. So we're going to be in Daniel 7 tonight. So if you have uh, a Bible, pull it out. You can turn there. Um, as you turn there, uh, was reminded of something this last week. Uh, got to spend good time with my family over Thanksgiving. And something you should know about my family that's a little interesting, specifically my mom and dad, really specifically my dad, he has this like weird interest, fascination with the royal family of England. Uh, it, it's weird a little bit, but it's fine. I, I like appreciate it. We all appreciate uh, the royal family, uh, like Meghan and Harry. You know, U.S. news outs, outlets loved that stuff, right? Like they're just eating up the drama of what's happening in the royal family. Uh, but we we in America don't really get monarchy. Uh, we're in a democracy, if you didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Take a history class. It's probably worth it. Uh, but we don't, we don't really understand what a monarchy is like, what it's like to live in a monarchy. So I was chatting with my dad over, Christmas, or over Thanksgiving because uh, I needed to get to know a little bit of the scoop on the royal family, how things worked in the royal family. He knows all that stuff. I didn't really have to ask. Like, I didn't have to do much research because uh, he's just, like, traveled to London a bunch and has, I don't know, anyway, whole thing. Uh, but... Something I didn't know that my dad told me is that the king, King Charles now, the queen died, sad, uh, he doesn't need a passport because he assigns passports, and so therefore he doesn't need to assign a passport to himself. He just, like, walks in a new country and is like, I'm the king. And I guess countries just let him in. Like, they don't question it. He's famous. He's the king. So he doesn't need a passport. Uh, there are other things that the whole country knows the rules too, because it's a monarchy. Uh, we don't understand uh, that you don't touch royals. So, you know, like our presidents walk on the street, everyone wants to touch them, shake their hand, whatever. You don't touch royals. Uh, the other thing, you don't talk to royals, uh, specifically the monarch, unless they speak to you. Uh, so that's really weird. Like, rooms are silent until they speak. That crazy. Um, here's the last one. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the British Commonwealth uh, national anthem changed when the queen died and the 
now king became king. He was the Prince of Wales. Uh, it was God Save the Queen. Now it's God Save the King. I watched a video of people in England singing God Save the King to the king. I don't know if you know, the king doesn't sing God Save the King because he would sing it to himself. So it's in the video, the king's standing here and his wife is standing right next to him. And his wife is singing to her husband who's like this. And then he like, show, he like clips and like, his kids are singing to him, God Save the King, but he's not, it's like three minutes of their national anthem and he's standing there like this. As a room full of people sing to him. That is wild. Like our national anthem, the president sings it because it's like to the country. They sing their national anthem to a person. Anyway, uh, here's, what we're, here's, here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about kings and kingdoms. And here's why this matters. is because we look at the British monarchy and we say, it is weird that you sing your national anthem to a person. But in our lives, we sing songs to kings. We just don't always recognize who the kings are. We like sing, we like give praise of our lives to something, to someone, to some movement. And so my question for you tonight is, is the song you sing to your kings or to your queens, are they worthy of the song you sing? Are they worthy of the song that you sing? And so tonight we're going to be in Daniel 7. We're, we skipped Daniel 6, but we're going to jump into Daniel 7 and I just want to warn you Buckle up. Daniel 7 gets a little bit weird. It's a little bit interesting. It's a different kind of literature. And so if you're struggling to understand, just pay attention. There's lots of imagery. We'll, we'll point to different things in history. And I uh, just want to start by saying I'm personally thankful. I needed help while I was studying this text. And so a pastor in North Carolina, his name is J.D. Greer, he was really helpful uh, to me in, in my preparation with this passage. And so if you hear something good, it's probably uh, from Pastor Greer. So here's where we're going tonight. Here's where we're going tonight, kind of the roadmap of the direction. We're going to talk about the worst nightmare ever. And then we're going to talk about the, the fading false kings that still exist today. And we're going to wrap up by talking about the everlasting kingdom. So as we jump in, we're going to jump into this prophetic text, this prophetic literature, which when I say prophetic, this is what I mean. I mean, prophetic scripture is a picture. Prophetic scripture gives us a picture of how God's going to work, how God's going to intervene in the world. And so Daniel and his dream here in, in Daniel 7 is going to give us a picture into how God is going to work in the years to come in Daniel's life and then beyond Daniel's life. This is what God's word says, starting in verse 2 of Daniel 7. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. So we're tracking four beasts. Verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made it to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Okay, so the first of the four beasts is a lion with eagle's wings that then stands on two feet like a man. And I, I just like want to speak for Daniel really quickly. You guys know when you have a nightmare and then you try to explain your nightmare to someone, 
and you have to qualify it by saying, trust me, it was really scary. Uh, some of you have like tried to explain nightmares to people, and you're like, no, 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 trust me, you don't understand. It was really scary. This is what Daniel would be doing, right? It's like easy to read crazy stuff. Daniel's like, no, no, no I watched this happen. Trust me, it's really scary. And, and what scares Daniel is because is he's going to see a dream, and he's, he's going to he sees this and he knows that this represents reality. And so this first beast, that lion with eagle's wings, Daniel would have understood it right away to mean this beast represents Babylon. This beast represents Babylon and specifically King Nebuchadnezzar because it referenced something Daniel had already seen in, in chapter 2. We, we read about that. So he, he sees King Nebuchadnezzar in this beast and we we remember studying King Nebuchadnezzar. We studied him in chapter 1. He was crazy. In chapter 3, he tried to kill Daniel's friends. In chapter 4, we studied how he's the prideful, crawling king. It's, it's this king that Daniel sees, a king of power and influence. And so why is God showing Daniel something he already knows is happening? Well, maybe he's just trying to prove to Daniel that what he's about to see is going to be equally as true. And if this first beast was scary, and he lived the scary life that it produced. These next beasts be even more terrifying. So these beasts that we're about to see are going to give us a picture into the coming kingdoms that will come after Babylon. This is verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. So this one is a bear with ribs in its mouth, and we're, we're starting to see how weird this vision that Daniel has is, like how weird it is. But what we know from being on the other side of history is that this beast is the Medo-Persian Medo Empire, which conquered Babylon. We, we see that in the chapter earlier in the book of Daniel. And the fact that the bear was larger on one side meant that the Persian Empire was going to overthrow the Medes, that they were going to rule together, but the Persian Empire was going to end up overthrowing the Medes, and that the Persians would establish a large and untouchable empire. Until the next verse, everything changes again. Verse 6, after this, I, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So this leopard has four wings and four heads, and this represents the Greek empire that would overthrow the Persian empire led by Alexander the Great, perhaps the, the greatest warrior in all of history. At the age of 30, he'd overthrown all of the Persian empire with about half as many troops than the Persians had, and he lost way fewer in the process of overthrowing all of Persia. But then why does this beast have four heads and four wings? Because Alexander the Great would die young, and he would leave his empire to his four generals. And the Greek empire would be split into four regions, led by each of his generals, a power struggle after he died. And then finally, the fourth beast, verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. Notice how he, he can't even describe what it's like. The other ones have an animal he describes it like, but this one, he, he can't even 
describe it for how terrible it is. It goes on to say it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped on what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So this one is indescribably terrifying. It's different than all the other ones. And this one represents Rome, who'd overthrow the Greek Empire. And its iron teeth, it's representing Rome's incredible strength and its ten horns. Ten horns representing power and the ability to damage. So if all Daniel's life has seen is the first beast, just imagine how much worse it's going to get. That's what God is trying to show him in this nightmare where he doesn't think it can get any worse. God is showing Daniel the next hundreds of years of history and how they're going to play out. Not pretty, but scary, terrifying, ferocious beasts defining the next years of history. But I want to take a step back and say no one actually thought that was going to happen. Why? Because when these next empires came to power, everyone looked at that empire and said, that's an untouchable empire of power, of strength, of position. They're immovable. They'd exist forever. People would think, man, that's an empire worth living for because it's not going anywhere. It's a, it's a kingdom that I want to be a part of. But God was trying to teach Daniel something different. And he's trying to teach us something different. That, that's that kingdoms are deceptive. That these kingdoms that we live for are actually deceptive. They will rise and they'll fall. New kings and empires will come and then they'll go. And that hoping in kingdoms, hoping in kingdoms of this world, is a fleeting hope. But they're here one verse, and they're gone the next. Like when you read Daniel 7, each beast is given one verse, just one sentence. It, it's here. It was given dominion. And the next verse, a new empire comes and is given dominion. And we too live in a world that is full of deceptive beasts, that's full of false kingdoms. No, they don't look the same, but they're deceiving. They're scary, and they cause us to go astray. As I was reading this text, as I was processing through, like, man, God, what are you teaching me? I felt this question coming up in my heart. What, Colin, what are you living for? Like, what do you live for? Because what we're going to see is that there is a real kingdom worth living for. There is a real one. But that's, not, that's often the one that we don't live for. Like I find myself living for all these other kingdoms so quickly. And in fact, these kingdoms that I settled to live for are far less significant. And I'm guessing they're far less significant to you too. Like we have this bias to think that the things that we choose to live for, the kingdoms we choose to live for, the kingdoms we choose to assign strength to are better than those previously in history just because they're the ones of this present day. You guys see that bias? Like, because it matters today, it matters more. But that's not actually true. 
And so I just want to walk through some of the kingdoms that I see people living for today. Kingdoms that I find myself living for, but they're false kingdoms. Kingdoms that are good, but kingdoms that are not ultimate. First one, the kingdom of our country, the kingdom of the United States. That like we live in the best country to ever exist and that to, for anything to ever happen to our country would be the greatest tragedy in human history. Here's what I'm not saying. We live in an amazing country that we should be grateful for and we should steward it well. Like we should steward the ability to live in this country really well. But the United States of America is not the ultimate hope of the world. But some of us take it another step further and we say, no, no, it's not just the United States of America. It's actually a political party that I ascribe to. The hope of the world comes through, like the thing I live for is that my political ideology comes to full fruition. That they're always the elected officials. But that's a kingdom that, like the beasts in Daniel 7, will come and go. Not a kingdom worth living for. Another kingdom I see a lot in rooms like this is the kingdom of a company. Okay, what, how, how is a company a kingdom? The, well, the, the lie that you think when you find the perfect job, the perfect position in the perfect company, that's something worth living for. Like, that's something worth giving your life to. Why, why do companies emphasize mission statements so much? Yes, it's that culture is changing and the companies need to care more about other things. Why else? Because a company believes if you buy into their mission statement, they won't just have you to work for them, they will have you to live for them. That you will give your life to the going forth of that mission. That's not a kingdom worth living for. But that's equally true of organizations. Like, guys, I'll admit it. Salt company, a good thing from God. A really good thing from God. Salt company, not a kingdom worth living for. Not a kingdom worth living for because at some point, salt company is going to go. Salt company will be forgotten. Our staff team will be forgotten. But there's something that is worth living for. Before we get to that, I'm going to talk about the most deceiving kingdom of them all. The one I fall into the most. It's not a company. It's not a country. It's the kingdom of Colin. Now, probably for you, it's not the kingdom of Colin, but it's the kingdom of your life. That we all do things in different ways to live for our own selves. To live for our name being known right now. To live for our legacy being remembered. To live to be the happiest person alive, to experience the most pleasure. Why? Because we all want to live lives that matter. We want to live for kingdoms that matter. And so what do we do? We put ourselves on the throne of the kingdom that we want to live in. Because we think when we sit on the throne, we then get to control everything around us. And so how do we do that? We do it to be known now. So we do that by being the funniest person in the room. We do it by working really hard to be a good friend, which is a good thing. 
But why do we do it? So that we're known as the good friend because it makes us feel better. We do it by seeking popularity. We want to be known for being known. What is all that? It's just living for ourselves, the kingdom of ourselves. What's another way we do it? We do it by legacy, trying to be remembered in the future. So we start a business, and we put our name on the business, and we say, man, that business is going to outlive me, and I'm going to have a legacy beyond my life. We do it by wanting to be influential people, to influence individuals' lives so that far after we're gone or after they leave, they remember their lives by the impact we had. It's a good thing, but it's not a thing worth living for. Or we do it by making a lot of money so that we can have a legacy of wealth or a legacy of generosity. In all that, we're doing, all we're doing is putting ourselves on the throne of our own kingdoms. Last one, we do it by pleasure, to be the happiest people alive. You want to live in a kingdom that's free of pain and full of pleasure, and so you travel the world to be interesting. You make money to be secure. You refuse to take risks to be comfortable. I do this too. I'm I'm right there with you. You pursue school above all else because it fulfills some expectation that you assign to yourself. You work really hard to have the perfect job because you think that will satisfy you. And all of that. And a whole lot of variety of things. We run after a kingdom where we put ourselves on the throne. Guys, I'm, I do this all the time. Like, I'm tricked into believing that my best life is the life where I sit on the throne of my own kingdom. I live for myself. I live for my legacy. I live for my name being known. I live for my pleasures being fulfilled, that when I'm the king and I'm the decision maker, that's the best life. When I follow my own way, that's the best life. But guys, I, man, I say this because I love you. Like I needed to hear this from the text, from the spirit in me this week prepping this. The spirit said to me, Colin, you're not that important. And so I say this in love. You guys are not that important. You matter. You matter, but you're not that important. Because in all that, you guys work so hard. You work so hard. I know you guys do, but my fear is that you work so hard for the beasts of Daniel 7, for things that are fading. Things that seem great now but are gone a verse later. Even your own pleasure, it's fading. Like the things we live for today are fading into history tomorrow. We're so prone to think that the things we live for today matter the most just to find that tomorrow we have to live for something different because that's the thing that matters tomorrow. Like you guys have noticed this. The things we praise today are the things we curse tomorrow. Social movements, like social movements 100 years ago, were like, this is the thing that we need to praise. Let 100 years go by, and human history will look back on that thing and curse it. It's not just social movements. It's like companies and company visions. Man, that company's not going anywhere. Here's what I'd say. 
give it 100 years. I know some companies have survived 100 years, but by and large, they don't. Why? Because what we praise today, we curse tomorrow. Here, let me, let me give you an even more just practical example. Uh, Christmas is coming up. So when I was prepping this message, I texted my mom and dad. I said, Mom and Dad, what did I want for Christmas when I was a kid? Okay, they said some, a lot of different things. Uh, like, we. We's awesome. We was super awesome back in the day. Like, so cool. Uh, it was, like, revolutionary, right? We's. Not that awesome anymore. Like, kind of trash, right? Like, compared to modern gaming systems. Okay. Glad we all like the Wii. That's awesome. Okay, another one. I, which this is still cool, kind of. But how about like my, you know, youth small Joe Maurer jersey that I wanted? Really cool. Too bad it wouldn't fit me anymore. Right? Like the things we wanted then that were treasures to us in the day, were trash years later. Or the, like, little battery-powered cars, you know what I'm saying? Like the kids' cars, which I would still like a battery-powered car from my parents for Christmas. I would just like it to be parked in a garage and have a, you know, Tesla plug-in. But, hey, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, the kids' the kids battery-powered cars. Guys, what was treasure 10 years ago? Trash today. What's under the tree this year will end up in a landfill next year. Okay, here's the point. Here's what I'm saying. So it is with the things that you live for. Like, you guys, I'm, I'm saying this because I, I just, like, see it in you. You guys are some of the most driven people that I have ever met. You have this idea of achievement in your head. You want to do something great and be someone that makes a difference. What I'm saying is a lot of you are driven towards dying things. You are so driven towards things that are gone a verse later. So here's what I think God is teaching you through this. What, how I'm going to kind of turn it a little bit, is that your dreams for your life are not too big for God to fulfill. They're too small for God to honor. God doesn't look at your dreams. He's not impressed. He's like, that's it? That's like actually God's response to your dreams. And so what is a dream that God looks at and says, that is worth living for? It's a kingdom not run by you. It's a kingdom run by him because that's a kingdom that will never fade, an everlasting kingdom. This is what Daniel sees next, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed. Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, the Everlasting One, took his seat, his clothing white as snow, and the hair of his head's like pure wool. His throne 
was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. This is describing the throne of God that we worship. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. All of them singing alone his praise. That he alone is worthy. The court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. Guys, this is who God is, the one who has always existed, the one whose throne is fiery wheels and has only known a life where he is worshipped, where he is praised, and not a, a worship that's because of his might and force, but a worship because he is worthy of it. And then it says the books were opened, which means that God alone gets to define all of human history, all has been said and will be said. God alone gets to define it. He's not deceived. He's not naive by what's happening, but he's using it to bring about his own glory. He is the ancient of days. That's what it's saying. Which means that as Daniel sees these scenes unfolding, one after another, a beast and then another beast and then another beast, one more terrifying than the next, God in all of it was writing a story for his own glory. So let's just take some examples. The Persians overthrow the Babylonians. You know what the Persians do? In order to get the Jewish people to side with them, they rebuild the temple and they rebuild Jerusalem and recognize it as a city, a city and a place that would be prominent for the ministry of Jesus. And then God raises up the Greeks. And you know what the Greeks do? They unite all of the empire, all of the known world under one common language so that people could all write and read the same language. That matters for the going forth of the writings of what Jesus has done. And then God raised up the Romans, and the Romans built roads, roads for the Romans' glory. This is going to be our legacy of an empire, and God uses those roads to bring the gospel out of Jerusalem to the known world at the time. God's not deceived by the beasts. Like, God, in all of human history, knew Paul would write this in the book of Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his son. God was waiting for the fullness of time to come. God was waiting for human history to play out in just the right way, just the way he knew it would happen, so that he could send his son on a mission in a way that would be effective and send the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so... My question for you is, do you live for a king like that, that rewrites your entire story, good, bad, ugly, all for his glory? Because here's what I want you to see is that we, when we live for the glory of Jesus, we cannot fail. We cannot fail when we live for the glory of Jesus because here's what happens is whether I seemingly win or lose, it's a win because God's going to take everything and work it for his glory. So if I'm working in the same direction as God, I know it's going to win. Right, My shame, though it hurts me, maybe, in feeling, actually is working to bring about the glory of God. My weakness is a testament to his power. My rejection from the world is a reminder that I'm accepted as a sinner into the family of God. Everything in my life, if I'm working for the glory of God, everything in my life is going to work out exactly the way it should because God's working for the glory of God. I cannot fail. But what I end up doing is I find myself like the Romans building roads for my own glory. 
one brick at a time, thinking that that brick will define my legacy now and a legacy to come. But all while I lay bricks, God plans to pave the road and use it for his glory. How futile is that work? To lay bricks just for the road to be paved. Here's what I'm saying. You can spend your whole life building a legacy that will inevitably fail. It will get forgotten in history. It will be a brick road that ends up being paved. And it will be like that, not because your dreams for your brick road were too big, but because your dreams for what that road could have been were too small. Or you can spend your whole life walking on roads behind the fiery wheels of a king that's worthy of worship, bowing your life to him and saying, he's worthy, and I follow that king. Because that's the best life that I know. That's the best life that I know. So which life do you want to live? What legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to lay bricks for a forgotten road or trample on roads heralding a coming and everlasting kingdom. Here's a story of someone that did this well. His name is Dawson Trotman. He started a ministry called the Navigators. In late 1930s, Dawson was working at a gas station. Two guys come to the gas station, and and they start a Bible study together. They give their lives to Jesus, and then those two guys, who are sailors, bring another two guys. So they're doing this Bible study for a while. Three of them are believers. The other two, like, coming for the free coffee, free food, eating out of the gas station. Like, why not? We'll come. They give their lives to Jesus, get baptized. Okay, then these four say, we'll sacrifice our salary so you can move, Dawson. You can move onto the boat that we work on. You can start a Bible study there. So they sacrifice their very minimal salary so that Dawson could live and work on this boat. Well, six months later, there's been 100 conversions on that ship and twice as many coming to weekly Bible study. That Bible study is called The Navigators. Not that much later, the ship that was the USS West Virginia got deployed to a place called Pearl Harbor. Where on December 7, 1941, the USS West Virginia sank which is a tragedy, and the navigators had redeployed to other ships all around the world so that by the end of the war, there were 800 ships that, have a na- that had a navigator's Bible study. And these young men came back to the United States, and under a U.S. act known as the GI Bill, they were spread to universities across the country, and Bible studies were started on campuses like the ones that you go to, resulted in NAVs, InterVarsity, Campus Crusade, Salt Company, Dawson Trotman, a man faithful. In a presentation a little while later, Dawson was asked, like, how did you do it? You live a life of ministry success. You've built a legacy of people following Jesus because of your faithful work. How did you do it? He said, I just recognized that God was God that he was the ancient of days. This is what he says. He says, God's calling us today, or God's calling to us today is to recognize that our circumstances, as difficult as they may be, as hard as they may be, 
to understand, do not counteract the eternal truth that our God sits upon the throne. An everlasting king. Ruling an immovable kingdom. And so how do you live in that kingdom? Three applications for you. Three ways for you to live in that kingdom. Trust, gratitude, and purpose. Let me walk through each of those. First one, trust when misaligned is anxiety. And anxiety asks, how do I get control? Trust believes that, man, maybe only I I can see one or two of the ways God's working, but I know he's working in thousands of unseen ways. Gratitude disoriented is discontentment. Discontentment asks, what can I do to get more? Gratitude sees the things that you have as a gift from a good giver. It's looking up. Last one, purpose. Purpose deceived is production. Production production asks, how can I go further, faster? Purpose believes that you have a sovereign assignment from God for the ways that you're supposed to bring the kingdom to the places where you're at right now. So what ways do you need to trust, even if you don't see it? What ways do you need to acknowledge the giver of your life and the gifts in it as good? And will you pursue the sovereign purpose God has for your life over just seeing one more thing to do on a list? Because here's what's going to inevitably happen is that Jesus is going to come back and reestablish his throne, and he did it. After the Romans built the world the first time, he had the coronation of his kingdom, knowing that he again would come back. And so what I want you to see is that in Daniel 7, there's a lion, a ram, and a goat that represent the world's kingdoms and the world's powers. But Jesus didn't come with horns of his own, but as the weakest animal of them all, a lamb, so that he would be pierced by the horns of the world's power by going to a cross for your sin, for the ways that you live for your own kingdom. And through his death, he broke the chains of the world's kingdoms. And he actually proved in his weakness of being a lamb that he was the strongest of them all. That he is more mighty than any king. He's more worthy to live for than any kingdom. He can draw near the sinner because he took on the world's sin. And he's ready to accept you with open arms. And so as we close on the last regular Salt Company of the year, I just want to say to you, maybe you've been coming all year, but you have not seen a worthy King Jesus as someone that's worth giving your life to. And I just want to say, now is a great time to say yes to Jesus. Is it Because he accepts you for who you are. And so I'm just going to close by praying. But maybe you, maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life as a worthy king, as the one who's worth living for. And so, God, we confess together that you alone are worthy of our lives. God, I so often see myself trying to lay bricks of a road that is going to try to scream my glory while your whole plan is to pave it for yours. So God, help me get behind the fiery wheels of your throne. I want to give my life to the kingdom of God. 
to your glory, to your honor, to your beauty, because God, in that, I cannot fail. So God, help us to do that. And for those that have not given their life to that, God, help them see the depravity of the things that they're living for now and help them set their eyes on you, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.